we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what. You bugging ass Jeff, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Well, I have to say, when I heard you were coming this week, I restrained myself mightily by saying, can you bring some finger wines <laughs> in so I can actually see what they look like? My yeah, portrait. well, I, it was a last minute thing and I was already dressed and late, so oh, wow. I didn't have time to pick you more because, you know, they're so prickly. Yes, it, they're not something really you can just go whack 10 yeah, out of. Yeah, that's right. So um, I had to get what I could reach with that. Um, they're so big though. Aren't they fat? Nice and fat and and like I just squeeze them out like toothpaste into the glass then. The tree that I had in a pot at Red Hill, which is the only tree I've ever gotten fruit off, which I then killed when I moved to Lantana Land, um, I got two off, but they would have been smaller than the smallest one I think um, you know we're really pleased with them at the moment they're great and they're going in absolutely everything from drinks to like salad yeah especially like Asian like something you might put like, I'd, you know, um, vermicelli salads and oh, things I'm trying like to think that. where I got that recipe nice. from maybe Sal hmm. but um, roast on bread salads so you get your pork roast or your chicken roast mm. and you get like sourdough or preferably something a bit stale and just chop it up and roast your roast on top of it and then you make your salad and then you that's your croutons right with yes. all the all the, the crunchy juicy juices and stuff mm. yeah yeah um, that's a variation on a on a, a the bread's quite famous recipe from the zuni cafe in los angeles oh okay it's right um Judy Rogers. So I never got to go there. So I do I do but, a pork belly one. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously all the pork fat and stuff makes very, very tasty. But that mm. and then do it with um apples and peanuts and uh, yeah, that um, good. what do you call it? Sprouts and that would go really nice with that. Yeah. I think they'd just about go with anything. Great. And how many really trees happy. have you got? Well I think I've got four in. Yeah. And um they're all sort of quite close together, which I think I said to you, I think that's part of the secret, that they're a bit, that's their microclimate of a bit more yep. foresty thing. And they're near the compost bin. I think they get a bit of, you know, indirect, or direct really, they're probably growing into the compost bin. Yeah, Because the other citrus that's around the compost bins are all doing well. I think it's a bit weird because they're also near olives. Which is completely, yeah. You know, olives are like dry and yeah. But um, you know, I mean, Alan's approach to gardening is put it in. If it grows, that's great. It's Brisbane. You know, change the water up or whatever. But well, in the orchard, I've got the row of trees along the top, which get really nice sun because it's a north-facing slope, so they get good sun all year round. Too much sun, I think now, mm. because. 
down in the terrace, which is all shaded from the house and is very shaded, I put a pear tree and it never gets any water. And it's bigger than the, you know, because you need two pears mm. so that they cross-pollinate. It's mm. bigger than the other pear. And yet you would think that it doesn't get enough sun. Right. So, you know. Yeah, it's luck of the draw sometimes. I've got to the stage with my, at least with my veggie gardening, where, like, so I got some garden beds for the kids, but we're just so, I don't know if time poor, we are time poor, but like, I don't have regular time, Mm. and there's always something coming up. Mm. I just kill vegetables. I forget to water them, and they die. Ah, yeah. Well, I think, yeah. So I've I've restarted an aquaponics bed, and I'm going to build out of all those uh, beds that I've got, I'm going to build one of those wicking beds. Yeah, yeah. Because I figure I should get at least a week's grace from that. Yeah, I think you're right, as long as it's actually sealed, of course. Yeah. Because I think, you know, isn't that a bit of a trick? It's like we've got fish ponds that Alan's continually having to top up because I think the way he built them, Ah, you know, uh, they're not exactly leak-proof. And um, I get a bit annoyed at that because I think that's quite a waste of water, obviously. Um, And when we've been away on holidays and whoever's been left in charge hasn't followed instructions <laughs> you've killed the fish uh, yes the fish yeah. might have got a little bit some dry oh <laughs> uh, dear but you know you get that you do so i mean we've got tanks and not always full though so yeah I don't no know how much water's coming out of the tanks versus out of the council so um yes can- council water is a, a a luxury that yeah yeah and see i sort of kill like have probably killed a few fruit trees just because I've been too tight with the water, especially since the twins came. Because mm. oh man, mm. you, know, you got three yeah. young kids, you rip through the water just in yeah. I think just in washing. But now that I'm putting the grey water onto all the fruit trees, mm. I haven't killed any, and they're all sort of thriving. So it's a it's a thing that interests me a little bit that um, people like the idea of their you know urban gardens and so forth. Mm. And some people really do see it from an economic point of view. Others, it's a therapy. You know, there's lots of reasons people do it. It's interesting when you do start thinking of it from an economic point of view. How much water are you putting into yeah, the system? and, you know, I, I don't think we probably... We don't think, oh, well, I bought those seedlings for this much or and I've used this much water and, and that sort of thing and how much they might have, you know, had to buy in soil and other things to make the garden. Mm. And... You know, I think there's an unquantifiable thing yeah. attached as well. But especially those same people. Sorry, Bizzo, they yeah. might have the same thing about produce at farmers markets should be cheaper. Yeah, that I come across that a lot too, and that makes no sense to me. Well, you, unless you understand all the input is. costs. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like what do you expect? Mm. Mm. Uh, because things that can be produced in huge amounts tend to be cheaper but mm. usually something has to give if you're going to do that that's right yeah. like I, I quite like salads but I've just got a mental thing with salad leaves from supermarkets yes, yes. I just don't Can't. really like salads made from supermarket salad leaves so if I'm growing rocket or lettuce at home I'll make salads all the time yes 
Yeah. But as soon as that supply dries up, the salads just yeah. seem to disappear yeah, off the menu. That's right. yeah. um, no, I mean, I'm with you there. There's nothing like the, the 10 metre salad. It's just the best. Yeah. Absolutely. And we can't poison anything at our place at the moment. Did I say I poison my garden? Yes, I do. Um, because there's lots of just rocket coming up in between Everywhere. everything. So we sort of have to wait until the right time after we've been through all the bits that have coming up and the tomatoes and all those sorts of things that find their way into every bit of the garden. So it kind of um, doesn't necessarily look as ordered, but it's mostly oh, edible see, what's lying around. It's great. The the garden, the kitchen garden at North East Street City Farm is my ideal veggie garden where there's no order, it's a patch, mm. and it's established and this is probably describing your garden as well established and the, the soil's good enough and there's enough self-seeding going on that there's really not that many weeds there's just yeah. rocket and leafy greens coming up in all every little space and cherry tomatoes coming up That's in every right. little space and occasionally you'll plant some corn or mm. you know some cabbages right. or whatever in between Mm. And I've always thought that's the best for pest control, rather than nice little neat rows of. Well, and then you're not, um, you're not sort of trying to fight with what wants to come up versus what you think you want. Yeah. In your in your garden, but I think also it's good to just um, the things that you really like, and that and also things that are high value mm. um, to buy. Like you- to me, capsicums and eggplants. The price of those annoy me. Yeah. So I really want them in my garden. I'd love to be able to have fennel. I would just have beds and beds of fennel because I'm in love with fennel. I just I, think it's the most yummy thing. I grew it really successfully at Red Hill on crappy soil. Did you? Yeah. Wow. How long did it take to actually, you know, I'm talking about the bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. But I remember eating it, and then I never grew it again because mm. Vanessa doesn't like it. Oh right, oh, I, like I, I love fennel. I grew up. My my grandmother always grew fennel, mm, mm. and some of my earliest memories is going down and breaking the the leaves off and just sort of nibbling on the on the aniseed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's the most versatile thing. You know, raw and pickled and gratin. Mm. The whole. Do you grow carrots? It's great. No, no. See, because that doesn't fit with the. Well, a space, you know, yeah. we are still at just a suburban front yard that we're gardening in. Yeah. Um, so space and time, and also I think you know they're more a commodity that you can get hold of and nicely around um, Brisbane. Yeah. Um, if you go and find the find right that. place, but you know we do grow lots of carrots not very far away from mm. Brisbane. So I sort of see that as maybe not the best use of space. Yeah, I'm just thinking when I do start this because uh, that's the next project uh, I think I've finally got the, the grow bed going the problem was I put I got a black to, to for the grow medium the top bit um, Bunnings had some nice big black uh, tubs yeah but I didn't think they're black in the Queensland heat oh. and it's heating the water up too much and I couldn't get the plants established they were basically burning yeah. The, yeah. the plants the water was too hot um, and I think what I, I needed was just a few plants to get going and sort of shade the top off a little bit and then it'd get going and I think mm. I've, I've managed to find that because mm. I, I love aquaponics when they because when they boom it's just magic yeah you yeah, know you, especially for your leafies like you know you, I can remember the first time I did it I just was making pesto 
like there was no tomorrow yeah. just giving it to people because yeah. i just had the and the, the, the basil leaves were like brilliant for pesto because they almost seemed to be twice as thick you know mm. that was mm. that juicy they had that actually much. al wanted me to bring you basil today and i said i'm not taking a piece of basil he'll be right for basil but Al I'll said, but anything. it's such good basil right oh, now no, i don't actually have much basil <laughs> i don't have uh i've got i don't know have you ever eaten pomegranates you would have eaten pomegranates yeah 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 are they yeah. nice Oh, I love them. Yeah, um, they're fun too. You know, I've got I've got a pomegranate tree, and it's got I think I saw that six yeah. pomegranates on it at mm. the moment. I've no idea when you pick a pomegranate because I've never eaten one. I don't know what they look like when they're ripe. Right. So okay. I, I guess I have to Google it. But I noticed this morning they're really sort of weighing the tree down. So, so I reckon that there's a a bit of a touch test with a pomegranate. Okay, so they'll start so, to give a little bit. Yeah, just a bit. Because that's kind of how you deal with getting the pomegranate, mm. you know, the seed. I did out. see a really cool thing on Facebook for cutting a pomegranate. And you cut mm. the top off, and you know they've got the segments. Mm. So you cut the top off so you can see all the segments in between, and then you run a knife down the line of the segment, and uh, then okay. you pull it, and it just pulls out into the segment with all the little bits still attached. Right, so you're sort of cutting the membrane part in half, and uh-huh. then it sort of tears out, and but you've still got right. Oh, I should have tagged you on it. It was very interesting. Yeah, I'll look for that because um, mine is mainly cutting in half, cupping it in your hand quite tightly, and then, sort and of then just slamming it because that way you save the juice as well. Yeah, if the juice is, and I think the juice is beautiful. You should. So is it very passion fruit like in terms of it's got seed with a bit of stuff around it? Yeah, but it's not the same sort of viscosity as passion fruit, really. Doesn't have that no. um sort of no. slipperiness. No. They kind of do come apart. Yeah. Yeah. So and the juice is quite loose, not like passion fruit. Mm. Did you ever see Annabelle Crabb talking to Malcolm Turnbull on, no. on the Kitchen Cabinet show? I have problems with that show. So, well, yeah, I know, but this is really funny. And I love, I, I love Annabelle Crabb yeah, too. Because so. she had that, and they were at, you know, the Highlands house or wherever the hell it mm. is, the country house. And, um, and so Malcolm's method is to, to basically, um, like, break up the pomegranate and put it in water and the seeds float out mm. but you lose all the juice yes, the juice is just gone i was like that doesn't make sense you'd almost then have to take that water and reduce it into a sauce or something well he had it in a really big bowl it would be so diluted, diluted you'd have that, to... yeah and i just and i thought oh well, there you go there's a political metaphor there about how he approaches things <laughs> like <laughs> throw the pomegranate seed out with you, the juice water or baby yeah, he, bar, i don't know something like you that just, you don't care about the waste you're just after the you're after the gold yeah that's right but i think you have to have the color with it and the juice definitely. yeah mm. so i'm very excited about that because that's that's going to be the real first fruit out of the crowdfunded orchard mm, that's fantastic so the pears and the nashi maybe this year i'll get fruit they're, they're they look like they're not too far away mm, and of mm. course i killed the lemon and the finger lime that I had up there yeah i mean the finger lime so i've got two you can't now. grow finger lime here right next to its native environment I know. look what the, we have the tr- to move toward the tree i've got is perfectly healthy and grows huge amounts of leaves every year i just never flowers how old is it oh four years because mm-hmm. i crowdfunded the year that. before the twins were born the twins have just turned three yeah, yeah. happy birthday twins mm. 
They were pretty excited, actually. They did not go to bed till quite late. <laughs> oh, they went to bed, but they were just amped up. And I saw the um, the photo with the Lego, like you know, the action photo. It yes. was like you couldn't. It was all a blur. That was well. That was the, that was the best one. The, the rest of them were all like shaky hands. Yeah. There was quite a little funny story that the, the difference between the, the personalities. You know, the mm. you got two. You know, they always talk about. The, like you know your upbringing and you know whether you develop differently things like that so um so curtis has not quite grasped the fact that not all toys are his which is obviously they were for the first part of his life (laughs) so took uh, those legos were supposed to be from curtis to the twins and took a great deal of convincing for him to hand them over right and then as soon as they were built he's like okay you played with them for 30 seconds time to give them up and um so there was you know a few tears and a bit of explanation right. and stuff like that and then he he's like oh no here you go Curtis you can have you can have mine it was very nice because I don't know what yours or the other one <laughs> so anyway we're, we're putting them all to bed and and um um read, to read stories and Vanessa says to to Hilo, that was very nice of very nice of you to share your Lego with Curtis, Hilo. You're very compassionate. And Raylan's standing up, waving his in the air, and he goes, Not me! <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. He was, not, he was not giving it up. This is my present. Bugger <laughs> off. Um, yeah, well, isn't that life? Mm. We shan't judge them at three. Uh, this is where the growing the food thing mm. really, and the cost really comes back. Because, like, we're buying, uh, we buy a little bit of farmer's market fruit, but there isn't that, there's nothing that great close mm. to us. There's mm. the tambourine one once a month, which mm. is pretty good, um, but you've got to be doing nothing on that Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, right. And the Beanley one's not too bad. We've we found that the apple guy is pretty good. You know, someone comes, I think he comes yeah, direct from Stan th- yeah. from the Granite Belt. But um, man, these kids eat fruit. Yeah, yeah. You well, sort of need the bananas just on you know continual yeah it's like it's it's at least apples. 15 20 bucks of fruit every day it's amazing it's a lot isn't it yeah it is. so you know and you talk about the like and i always think about you know back in the day when people had big families you know when three kids was the norm probably the the lower end you know most mm-hmm. people, kids would have mm-hmm. had but families would have had three four five kids I think you would have had to have grown your own fruit and vegetables mm. because shopping that way would just would have been too expensive. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to eat well, like I do see people shopping with big families and you're getting lots of home brand sausage rolls and things, things like that. Things that seem filling at the time. Well, probably mm. easy and cheap and yeah, not probably that great for you, but mm. Mm. um but you know, you, like if you've got two people at home and you've got an orange tree, you're going to have a lot of excess. You know, there's only so much marmalade you can make. Mm. But if you've got four kids and the parents and and cousins and whatever, one orange tree is probably going to only go into that small circle yeah. and get all used up. Yeah, that's right. So how many kilos do you reckon you get of oranges off off a tree? A tree, like in your situation, where well, when you, you know, it's not like you've got a 
citrus orchard. No. It's producing. I remember when I went and bought the Dexter cow and she had a mandarin and a lemon and an orange tree. And I reckon there would have been 150 kilos of fruit on each tree. Right. So that's a good supply. Yeah. So if you had one orange tree, you know, you and the good thing about citrus, as you'd know with the finger limes, is that it's not, they're not a situation where they're right, you've got to pick them today. Yeah, you can you spread can, it out. You can sort of leave them on the tree for a fair bit of time. Yeah. So. Unlike, say, your tomato crop comes mm. on and you're like, uh-oh. Got to go. Got to do something about this, you know. And and I, we don't get organised enough, I don't think, for using our produce when it's there. So, like, we've got this huge amount of sage at the moment. Mm. So every time we have lamb or chicken or whatever we're having sage, sage. that's great you know mm. fresh pasta burnt but, sage um, yeah all of that well see you know not on the pasta trying to not eat too much pasta so mm. then you can't have the, anyway so see, um, again gotta, this, this is this swap economy we've got a lady that gives us um mm. fresh duck eggs and she gets a bit of honey and a bit of soap and stuff in return yeah but yeah. it's pretty hard to go past yeah. pasta when you've got fresh duck so eggs. someone was telling me you can just like put sage in layers in the freezer oh, and then really? pull it out and do the fry, you know, like it's nice fried yeah, yeah. up in the butter or whatever. And I thought, oh, well, that's worth giving a go. I mm. didn't seem to make sense to me. Sage doesn't strike me as something that... Um, is, and, is sage not an all-year-round herb? Well, it doesn't seem to... We don't seem to have it through winter. Like okay. this crop that's... In fact, I'm surprised it's still going so well. So we went away for the whole of December and into January and came home and I thought, oh my gosh, it's five times bigger than it was before we went away when I thought it was actually dying off and going before mm. the summer. So um, I might have completely had it wrong. I guess if you're associated with maybe Italian pork, you know, it goes in that, doesn't it? So yeah, so yeah it probably is a hot summer hot thing. I just didn't really associate it like that. So do you... Do you tend to grow the things that you like eating or do you grow things that are interesting to grow? Well, the interesting to grow would be more Alan's thing. Yes. Yeah. I'm more interested in stuff that I Can like. Eat. Yeah. So, like, he's the one that's got, you know, the dead flower-smelling thing <laughs> in the garden because <laughs> his brother's into plants as well and they're yeah. real nerds, the pair of them. So, yeah, he's got stuff that he grows because it's interesting and fun and different or whatever. Not so much food things, I suppose. Mm. He's agreed that the asparagus should go since we get one long stalk every couple of months and it's not really asparagus country where we are at Annalee. No. But (laughs) But it's funny. I've grown good asparagus in Red Hill, though. Red Hill sounds like it's got something special going for it. Well, it was the worst. It was in a pod for a start. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. Like, you know, Sal and I and many, many, many Mm. hosts have talked about this so many times, but that's my, that's, I've never had a better meal. Mm. It's just asparagus cut from the thing. Mm. Chicken egg from underneath the chicken. Yeah. And it was poached egg, hollandaise. Yeah. Sauce and buttered asparagus. And it was all 15 minutes old. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. you know. We had friends that lived at Guanabar, down the bottom of Tambourine. Yeah. And uh, they had fabulous asparagus. So I think it must get cold enough. Yeah, I think something. it's a little bit like the fruit that needs that certain amount of cold hours yeah. to set. Yeah. So I've just, I had the asparagus in a, 
and and this is like the permaculture gardening thing where and I'm terrible at it like even though I've done the training and I know that you shouldn't you know I just charge in and go oh let's stick this thing here or let's do this and without actually thinking about um is you know it how it all fits in and and how it fits into your life I think as well mm. I think a lot of times you think about how it'll look or uh how mm. it, the appearance of it without without actually thinking about how it fits into your life like I've just had we've got these terraces up behind the house that are just a pain in the ass to mow and get overgrown all the time and not great because then you're encouraging snakes to be close to the house which is not good with the kids and i just thought the other day i had the chickens sort of halfway down the hill where dogs and foxes and snakes would get into them and it really was harder to control and i've got these terraces that are not doing anything I just should fence the terraces and let the chickens control the grass. Yeah. And then the chickens are close to the house where they're there and it's nice to have chickens around and yep. the kids can play with them and stuff like that. I was just like, I've been yep, here for a decade. Go. and just it worked that out. just gone into my head. How many times have I whippersnipped that bloody terrace? Yeah. And never All thought of All the time knowing that I hate doing this, whippersnipping and using this. Well, it's yeah. just a... Yeah. Especially now, like, where... The discrete, like, I guess it'll change more and more as the kids get older, but the kids sort of can't fend for themselves. They've always got to have... And tw- young twins are especially bad because just, they just will fight <laughs> because they're on the same brain level, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can't just wander off for eight hours and go and fence a whole section off. you sort of got to plan things. So <laughs> you know, there's a hierarchy of needs around yes. the house. And yes, I bet there is. You get that. You definitely do. Actually, with that that idea of um, of um, what should you know not should, but what can be in your garden. There was a post on Facebook today by Jerry Colby Williams. It's talking about an English experience where there's no forested mm, areas I saw that one. and bushy areas for things like badgers or whatever. And you know, you can certainly apply that here in in gardens, can't you? And say, well, you know, where's the skink? And mind you. The best laid garden plants can be done over by a bush turkey in Brisbane, as we know. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> just a, like I had fully caged garden beds at Red Hill. The garden beds here are fully caged. Um, and I think you need that critical mass like Northey Street has where there's just so too much. much for them to... They might have a bit of something, but the whole thing's not going to go. Yeah. Although, um, Linda from Eco Botanica was here the other night at Cookbook Club. She had the wildest story because we got onto possums and bush turkeys and stuff. And she's got, quite, you know, a big garden. And uh, someone mentioned about their possum problem. And uh, Linda said, well, they do possum peppering or pest peppering. So what's that? They give them peppers? No. Um, so Linda can correct us. <laughs> If I'm not explaining this correctly, but basically you take perhaps a roadkill possum that you've come across. Oh, right. And you reduce it to a white charcoal. Yeah. And then you pepper, sprinkle the ashes across the meridian energy lines of your garden. And she said it's worked for them. They don't have possums getting into their leafy herbs or anything anymore. 
It's a little bit like, I don't know if you saw the story. There's going to be a big cook-up of bush turkeys <laughs> next spring, <laughs> hey, if that idea gets around. Um, I just think there's, there's a... There's the, 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 the critical mass of bush turkeys is just too strong. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely... Yeah, we... And yet, for the first five years at Lantana Land, I never saw a scrub turkey. They were the bane of my existence at Red Hill. Never saw a scrub turkey. Just but throw now it. you do? Throw it. Yeah, now I can't get rid of the bloody things. Right. Well, you produce... You know, I mean, you create an environment for them, I suppose. And they're not... But I've always... I've had chickens the whole time I've been there. Because I always think, you know, where you get chickens, you get scrub turkeys because... Oh, that, my friend would say where you get chickens... The bush turkeys are attracted. That's our experience. Yeah. So. But never had any. And then, now my theory is is that the first five years at Lantana Land we had floods every year, so enough rain to flood the bridge down the bottom of the hill. And it's been since it's been dry that we've had the scrub turkeys. Ah, okay. So whether or not. So they maybe need, they weren't able to the, access? Yeah, or they need to range further, you, you know, like their traditional mm. hunting grounds or whatever, you yeah. know. Like, obviously, they would prefer a rainforesty sort of, you know, tambourine is there. But wouldn't you just have your one bush turkey? Because they're quite territorial and they no. kick each other out. No, I've got like eight. In all different parts, maintaining no. their own? no. Oh, really? No, they all just come through. Because, you know, if you're... Like, I told my neighbours this. Mm. Um, told them they owed me a carton because I was the one who went and got the guy to come and get rid of the bush turkey that had come to our place. Yeah. And I know they were all thinking, as we watched the bush turkey ranging up and down the street, don't come to my place, don't come to my place, you know. Yeah. And, um, and he said there would be another one maybe down in the parallel street. Yeah. Um, but there wouldn't probably wouldn't be one in my section of the street now because this guy would have he had been there to settle in and he would have chased off all the other males oh. so that they settle over you know not huge areas but maybe they, they have them no I've got maybe like a half a kilometer or something I can have four sitting on the fence at one time I'll take mm. a photo next time it happens and send they it look to so you. funny don't they oh, they do no, I saw, I saw um, today a similar sort of thing there, making cane toad sausages oh. and feeding them to the native animals in the Northern Territory because... As a vaccination? Uh, it makes them, it basically thing. makes them, it's a tolerance, but also I think it's the taste and they nibble at these sausages, get the, get sick and then no, not to. Go, go and touch a toad and go, oh, that's that. That's that. And right and don't touch and don't eat them to try and stop those i think those small mammals are dying off because they're trying yeah, to eat yeah, toads yeah. because they look like a frog and frogs yeah, they're natural yeah. this is like links and links of cane yeah, toad sausage we've certainly got toads at our place that yeah. we didn't have 20 years ago when we moved in no i, I can remember being at somewhere in north queensland when i was quite mm. quite young and um uh, in a caravan park and going and turning the tap on at like nine o'clock at night and the would have been a hundred toads in like a the, the size of a bucket yep just in the water mm. yep and just thinking geez yeah and they're just revolting aren't they yeah. just, there's no loving them my that, grandparents had a cane farm at Bartle Freer mm. in north Queensland and I can remember you know we would go up there and the toilet of course was downstairs yeah and after dark <laughs> they would just come into the underneath of the house yeah 
and um, and I'd be like, how am I going to go to the toilet? You know, and Dad would have to carry me down. <laughs> <laughs> Across the Kanto floor. Terrifying. It's just terrifying. Uh, so, I don't know what, what we think when we're kids is actually going to happen to us. Because, you know, as soon as you step, they tend to move, to move away anyway. But you don't really understand that when you're young, do you? Mm. You can just see these things obviously waiting to get you. I was pretty happy when the, when the boys went to daycare and they had a python there and they wouldn't go and touch it. I was like, good. <laughs> That's good training for where you yeah. live. Don't yeah, really want yeah. you thinking Until you can go and pick up snakes when you're three. No, that's right, because you can't discern the difference. No, and we do have some big brown snakes around where we are. So. Yeah, that's a bit of a worry. Have you ever had them in the house? No. Other snakes, like non... But we're really lucky there's a guy who lives in our street who's a bit of a snake man. Mm, like, not an official one, but mm. he knows every what bloody snake. And uh, we've had the cats bring in like little tree snakes and scratch them and he'll come and take them home and rehabilitate them and let them go again mm. he knows mm. his stuff yeah handy yeah, guy to have absolutely so i'm glad i don't need a snake man well i haven't <laughs> i mean god knows what it's in our roof though yeah really. pythons are not gonna yeah you're not gonna get too many brown snakes where you are yeah so we have this funny experience from the turkeys where um got lots of leaf litter down the side of the house and you're sitting on the veranda and you hear this rustle 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 and the first thing we all think is, it's a bush turkey. You know, so we're all going for the going for the little bits of gravel to throw at the bush turkey. And usually it's just crows yeah. doing stuff in the... But we're so alert to that bush turkey. This is that, that sound. <laughs> yeah. That's right. um, have, now, do you have bees and native bees or just native bees? We haven't got any, um, as I like to call them, feral bees. Feral at the bees. Moment. <laughs> Um, we just got native bees. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so. do you get any honey off them at all or not really? Um, it's more for the garden. It's more for the garden and just the delight of them, mm. I think. And, but we, you know, we certainly have had when Alan has split hives more often and he hasn't done that for a while. Yeah. You can sort of generally get some. So they split the same way as, as feral bees? No, cause they're completely different. Yeah, that's what I thought. Set up, yeah. Um, So it's really good how popular native beekeeping has become. Mm. There's a club now Alan's part of. Wow. Sunday afternoon. They're very... They're um, very passionate. Well, if if they're into it enough to start a club, then you're... Actually, I wanted to... I I forgot I was going to tell you before, going back to the the cost of... um, producing food i don't know if you've ever read a year of slow food no i don't think i've read it um it's written by two authors that live in the central new south new south wales mm. um somewhere mm. david and gerda foster okay um he's an author i think she's an author as well but different sort of fields and they basically went and just yeah, moved moved out of sydney and went and lived on thing but they're very very pragmatic about it about the uh, not sacrifices trade-offs that you're going to make and he talks about that in terms of you know raising seedlings from seed or going to the thing buying seedlings and making your own like the actual cost of producing the food that you're going to eat and you know 
you grow tomatoes and capsicums and eggplants because they're easy to grow in large amounts and they're easy they're quite versatile you can yeah. use them and for a whole and they're easy to preserve in different ways and all of that yeah. you know and berries you know you're, ne- you're never going to have enough berries and that's like I don't even particularly like honey but I like beekeeping and honey is just like probably the most tradable thing you can have it seems to be I, th- I think it might actually be um like I've been making my own soap and that seems to be just a touch more popular than the honey. Ooh, controversy. I've soap versus got honey. orders for soap for people that want soap okay. that have tried it. The first, you know, like the first time I made it, I made it heap, go, here, here you go. Yeah. And like all things that I do, it looks nothing like a bar of soap that you buy at the shops because I have a real problem with doing one thing, doing it, doing it, the slow way for a start and then the second and then perfecting that method and slowly building up so if you i do just it, want to do it and, and have a want, product i just want to experiment yeah. it's like yeah oh let's try four different colors and six different things in it and yeah. you're not trying to perfect the perfect one thing no no i've had some pretty epic no, <laughs> pretty no bezo signature soap <laughs> no i've had some pretty epic failures i actually i did some reading because i was i was getting a little bit of um it just wasn't behaving the way it should in the in the making process and so i um i read up and i was like i think my oil my my fats are too cool when i'm making the soap right so i heated that instead of the logical next step would have been to look up what temperature they actually should have been and then put it sounds logical put a temperature gauge in and no no i just heated it really hot and then so the first time i put hot oil into a plastic container melted the bottom of the plastic container <laughs> all over the always the trick all yeah. over the deck it's like jesus and so then put another lot of you know so it's it's um coconut oil and beeswax and um olive oil on the stove put it on furiously trying to clean up the other one it got super hot as well came back out poured it into the glass container added the you know the milk and caustic soda and stuff mix and did all that that was great and then so it actually worked really well and i got a really nice creamy consistency that it was easy to pour so instead of just pouring out into my molds and leaving it at that going you've done well you've you've and then going back and being experimental i split the thing in half and put so i was trying to go for a layered soap and put a color and a fragrance in with the other half and it completely split and went batshit and so this this soap was like half perfect and half completely unusual i had to throw the whole thing out so Um, what's the going swap if i had a kilo of uh, honey well i'll just give it away but it's more because with your beak i mean obviously there's some sunk cost in beekeeping yeah. But once you're at a, um, you know, in a system where it's really just a time thing. Yeah. Um, that's a bit different to say soap where you have got ingredients that you have to purchase. Um, yeah, I guess so. You know, they're not things. I, I more give it to the people that are helping us because help, right. uh, us getting help and time. Yeah. Um, is so valuable. Mm, so priceless, any, they might say at Mastercard. Any, anyone that's <laughs> willing to help our crazy little family out gets gets right. 
you know, yeah. whatever they like. If they want soap or they want honey or they want mm. milk when I've got milk, then that's what they get. Mm. Um, Fair enough. And then I guess I just don't have too many people I know with produce to trade for mm. because otherwise I would. Quantity, yeah. You know, I'd, mm. I'd quite happily trade honey and soap for finger limes, for instance. Mm. Mm. Um, so. Fair enough. I'll bear that in mind as, as the finger limes continue to produce massive well, amounts. Well, you probably, you know, how, how much... They're in the, you know, I've got little sandwich bags in the freezer. In the freezer, yeah. Um, and you can tell when you know there's a lot, can't you, where, you know, you just don't worry about that. Just <laughs> go, oh, yeah, throw the rest of it away. Yeah. I wonder if you do something with the skin, though. What do you think when you smell the... It's a beautiful aroma when you scratch the skin. Now... And I wonder whether it's a citrus skin worth... Um, drying or candying? Yeah, I've, I've tried candying before and never had much luck. I reckon it would go really See, well. See, and there's not much pith on these? No. So you probably wouldn't worry about that? I also wonder too, like, um, eventually I'll get into extracting my own essential oils, mm. which is not, had a bit of a look into it, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, that's when you need, your quantities have got to work for you. That's right, you know. You almost need to say, hey, Therese, save me every mm. finger lime skin you've got mm. and do it that way. And then you'll give me back a teaspoon of oil <laughs> three right. years later. <laughs> well, that's like <laughs> mum used to always say to me when I was, uh, when the cows were going full board, she used to, oh, make me some ricotta. And ricotta is just a freaking pain in the ass to make as a cheesemaker. It's so low reward. You know, you, mm. you mm. get litres and litres and litres away and you skim the teaspoons of ricotta off the top not yeah. only oh, ricotta's fine but when I can make um, like creamy feta which I just love and yes. is so versatile and you can well it's there you're actually making a trade off for effort as well aren't you effort and what you like to eat yeah versus sure we can make ricotta but it's not very challenging it's not that absorbing no. um, that kind of thing so and it's you're also doing it for the sake of doing it as well as the product. So, yeah. yeah. And that's... You've got to fill all those. I, I like... I like projects that are good bang for the buck. Mm. You know, because... Um, like, soap making's pretty easy. Like, I think I could make... I could make, you know, soap that I could sell. If I concentrated and did things properly, I could easily be banging out loads of soap that I can sell but uh, you, you got to enjoy what you yeah and you've eat. also got to enjoy selling it yeah that's right like you haven't got time to go and sit at a market store no. on Saturday morning so you know um but it's really nice to have a share and use your own soap yeah. and I've got a couple of friends that are like oh, I'm not going back to shop bought yeah, soap it's now great. it's so satisfying so the last one I made was a uh, um Curtis Island soap so I brought seaweed back from Curtis Island oh. and pumice and uh, cuttlefish and ground the cuttlefish and the pumice up in the mortar and pestle. And does your Curtis think that Curtis Island is his Yeah, island? he thinks, well, he, and this he does. And this is Curtis Island soap. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's his soap. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's got like a little, just a little bit of grit to it. But because you use lots of, um, lots of olive oil and uh, coconut oil, it's very, very so creamy and leathery. So what happens when you want to add stuff like, um, pumice stone for instance do you need mm. to be careful to sterilize stuff like that or do you just assume it's i mean it sounds like something that shouldn't need sterilizing but 
never, that's where you pick it up from, I guess. Never like, thought about it. I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> to be honest. Because <laughs> it's happens. sat in the sun for... Yeah, it should be fine, shouldn't it? However long. Like, it's yeah. pretty dry. Yeah. I'm not normally concerned about this. If I get like a that. skin conditioner for I haven't used that bar yet. <laughs> so it's the next on the list. I've only got... I made 12 bars and I've given 11 away. <laughs> so is a bar, like, kind of roughly the size of a commercial Do you know what I'm actually using a... at the moment? Is, uh, you know, you can get... Um, the little silicon bar cake molds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like a muffin, but rectangular. Like a freond. Yeah, freon, freon. So they had a couple of them on special at Kmart one day. Perfect. So six, and I've actually I've perfected a recipe that just makes a, right. a, like a batch of those, like okay. it fits it exactly. Right. And then I can just play around. You know, I can try this this time, yeah. and then this next time, and then. While I'm not pumping out huge amounts, I'm also, if I screw up, I'm not throwing away 30 bars. Because like mm. you said, I am still paying for the olive oil and the, um, mm. and I guess the milk. It's not very much milk. Bits and pieces. Yeah. You've got to have the supplies of the soda and well, that doesn't cost much, I know. But it's, it's not it's a, it's, it's, it's one of those things. The best, the best bang for your buck one though is Harissa. Harissa oh, yeah. is insanely fucking expensive to buy in the shops. A little yep. tiny yep. bottle yep. for yep. like seven dollars. This is one of the easiest things in the world to make. Just you know, first pick your chilies, and then not much else. Garlic. <laughs> it's great. So we made. Oh, I should have brought some of that. Oh, I should have brought so it could go with this. But we made some zug the other day because we had lots of chilies. What's, what's zug? So it's a. Um, what is this, a by Middle the way? Eastern. Just... Yep, that's. Special. Special. It's a Middle Eastern mix. It's um, chili and gar- green chili and garlic, mm. and then a mix of um, herbs like uh, cl- uh, cloves and sumac and stuff. So I used an Otolenghi recipe for it yeah. that I'd come across, and yeah, Z H O U G. Isn't it a great word? Yeah. Zug. And uh, yeah, so it's just a green chili pickle. You, you'd love it. Do you guys save seeds? Not really. Not really. Not really. Not purposely. Oh, actually, you know, Alan has got his little stashes of things that I don't necessarily understand what he's doing. How many different chilies do you grow? Do you grow lots of chilies? No, we've just really got one or two bushes at one time. We okay. don't really have lots. Save me some chili seeds. These ones are nice. They've been, um, they're just not super hot and nice size. Nice. And that sort of, you can sort of slice them long ways and stick them through a salad and not blow everyone's head off. Okay. But they've got that lovely flavour yeah. and crispness because they're straight off the bush, of course. So, I just yeah, want to... I, nice. I used to have heaps of chilies and I don't have any chilies at the yeah. moment. It's just one of those things that oh. I don't feel right. Like, I think if you've got... If you're a cook and you've got your own supply of eggs... And your own supply of lemons and chilies. And a few greens. And like parsley and rocket and but you, you can throw something together. That's right. That's right. And That's what we notice. It just doesn't take that many things and you can let the fridge run down and yeah. you can still produce something that's really quite and especially if you've got like, you know, I always have a bit of salami or bacon knocking around that's yeah, olives or yeah. those sorts of things. But Can of lentils. Yeah. All those things, they mean you've got a meal. Especially, and I buy, as talked about before here too, I buy flour in the 10 kilo bags. Oh, from. Yes. So mm. Woolies have a, um, a flour that actually comes out of Kangaroo Island. I think the, the wheat comes out of Kangaroo Island and they mill it in South Australia. Right. 
Um, but it's like an all-purpose flour, but it makes pretty good pasta. Right, okay. Are you a good pasta maker? What's... what's I don't know. How, how do you be a bad pasta maker? <laughs> I don't understand. I think some people just I got, I got lectured by PJ a couple of podcasts ago. You right. should be doing this and this and this oh, and yeah. measuring it and... I make it up until it's the right consistency. And so then... you've said a couple of things now, and I think, yeah, I can relate to this. So bang for your buck is important. Yes. And no, not no, too no many measuring. processes, measuring, all that kind of stuff. And I realise that about... I'm not someone who really enjoys cooking desserts particularly, unless mm. they're the three-ingredient mousse thing that mm. you don't have to measure anything that's got no eggs or anything like that in it. Tofu and chocolate and gourmet, you know. And... Lots of bang for the buck because it looks great on the plate and you can be out having a drink with your cronies that are coming to enjoy each other's company instead of wondering whether... And, like, whenever I come across a recipe and it goes, check that the temperature of the whatever is X. I'm like, You're like what? See you later. Candy thermometer? I don't think so. The, the, the best thing about to, to think about how you cook is when you have to try and teach someone else your recipes, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Because... Uh, the guy one of the guys a mate of mine who lived with us for a while when the twins were quite young to help out and once a week we used to do cooking and he'd cook something that he liked eating of mine because he's eaten thousands and thousands of my meals and he would write it down in his book and I remember we were doing roast chicken and he's like what temperature do you put the oven at and I was like I don't know just turn the oven on it might be 250 it might be 180 all depends yeah and like i've got cheats like and you um, know if you need to do something really hot and quick you look after it in a different way than if yeah you're doing, yeah and like you know if i'm running really really short on time and i was like you know you get a lemon and you poke it with a knife and you boil your water and throw it in the boiling water until the lemon's steaming hot because ovens convection a normal oven cooks from the outside in and that makes it cook from both ways and you like halve your cooking time and he's like okay so how long do i leave it into i was like till it's cooked dude he's like i don't know i need a time give me a time give me a temperature so you know that's just intuitive or instinctual or whatever and it can be hard because you know my son's pretty good the one that does a bit of cooking at home but Sometimes I'm just like, well, just stop asking me questions. If you want to cook dinner, just cook it. But don't ask me, oh, mum, you know, is this the right temperature or what do I do next? I don't mm. know. Just do whatever's coming next that will make up. Yep. Or people come say, can I help you? And I'm like, mm, not really because I'm not really sure what I'm about to do next. Yeah. So I can't really give you a job. I'm big. You know, I'm, I've got a rough idea. I love this the social kitchen thing. And we've got the worst kitchen in the world with an oven that's basically two burners that work and the oven's schizophrenic and Mm. it's funny mum came down a while ago and cooked something in it and completely destroyed it and i'm like yeah yeah the 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 top shelf's actually quite cool and if you want to break it's just like how do you remember all this i'm like oh it's just just do don't you um and i think most ovens are like that they're not reliable you can't you really need a thermometer in your oven i have to buy a separate one for that i've i've got this thing where I don't want to spend any money on the kitchen until I can actually get have what you want. What, well, not even what I want. Like, we're never going to get what we want because we're <laughs> just so cash poor. But I would like I would like a kitchen because I really want the boys to cook, and I really want somewhere where we can have four people doing mm. prep, mm. you know, in the kitchen yeah. at one time. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. it's great when they, you know kids are kind of doing all that stuff 
Mm. I've now, of course, as you know, my sons are older, but Sam's still at home and he likes to cook and even likes to eat even more. Mm. And um, but he does his bit absolutely. He's quite getting quite good to the point where he'll sort of look at me if I come in and make sure that I'm not doing something. <laughs> not messing with I it. I do. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, I want to put some anchovies in there, or you know, I think that burner's up a bit high, you know, and yeah. stuff. And he's like. Just, no. just chill out, lady. Yeah. Give up. me some space. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's really funny. Come home now, and the and the boys, because they're all still too small, they just go and get their little steps from around the house. Yeah, yeah. All crowd up, and, yeah. and then it's like, okay, well, I've got a sharp knife, not much space, and <laughs> little hands water, going everywhere. You know, the whole thing. Yeah, no, they're pretty respectful of the heat. They've got that concept pretty yeah. quickly. But, you know, it is a dangerous place sometimes, and mm. you can just step back and trip over someone and... You have to think differently too. You have to think, I can't leave that super sharp chef's knife there because it's not so much that they're going to grab it by the blade because I think I've trained them enough to not do that. But they push someone and someone pushes and then it falls onto a foot and then it's, dinner's off, boys. We're going to the hospital. (laughs) We have this story um, that Alan likes to tell because it's against me. I get home from work one afternoon and he was cooking up at roast or something and... You know, it was a bit going on, kids were much younger. And I said, uh, oh, well, how about I make a gravy? And he's like, yeah, okay. And I proceeded to absolutely do the worst fucked up gravy of all time. And Alan didn't say very much. I was just like, oh, I don't think we should eat this, pretty bad, you know. And if that had happened in reverse, I would have just said, no piss off out of the kitchen right Mm. he doesn't do that he's like yes whatever and um doesn't say anything until right at the end he goes so next time you come home and ask to make the gravy and i say no fuck off you'll understand what i'm talking about (laughs) won't you (laughs) okay so it's kind of become code like this would be 15 years ago it's become code for it's time for you to shut up and go away and leave me do what i'm doing are we having gravy tonight (laughs) when when vanessa went overseas and i was running the I was running the pub, so I had to stay, stay back in Australia. And I used to have, we used to shut up midnight, and on the weekdays, I used to do closes quite a bit because I was bored and was, yeah, I'd do them. And I had these two chefs come in, and you know, they'd sort of come in at 11 o'clock, have a couple of drinks, completely stoned off their brains, and then off they tootle into the night. And sometimes they'd stay till I closed, and they'd invite me back to their place for a feed. And he was explaining dried mushrooms to me mm. and he's like come back and we'll cook you up um you know like a like porcini or something yeah porcini and he was going to make like i think like in a white it was it would have been like in a roux you know make them in a white sauce and have them on toast you know stoner food for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for chefs right. basically yeah, yeah. so they're back here and they, they're smoking and drinking and he's soaks the porcini and makes the sauce and he splits the sauce and oh, you should have heard the other chef give it oh, to right. him. Oh, right, that's the same. Just, uh, you call yourself a chef. Look at you, you can't even make a simple mushroom sauce. And he's like madly pulled it. Ah, but isn't the sign of a true cook being able to bring it yeah, back? Yeah, because he brought it back and that was his argument. Like, yeah. you wouldn't have been able to bring this back. That's right. And I'm just... Saving the day. I'm just like, give me the good food, boys. <laughs> I don't really care what you do. Yeah. But, um... Nice. Yes, Very nice. So do you want to try this? Yes. What, so what we I made this on... Sunday, uh, Monday night for Cookbook Club. It's not beetroot, so I'm happy. No, it's not beetroot. It's cheese. Cheese. But it's cheese custard. 
Yeah, now I saw you post something about and, this. Um, and I think it's this is one of the good things about Cookbook Club. Because this was me, the potluck thing, wasn't it? Where you all uh, yeah. bring something that, yeah. from, from that you've made. From the books that we've been doing. Yeah. Sort of thing. So there's a small pool. So what books so is this from? So this is the sort of, this is from Mark Best's Basics book. Yeah. And the thing about this is, if I was just cooking at home, I wouldn't even think about making this. I wouldn't make it for a dinner party, really. In my mind, you know, going through it. I yeah. just, but because it's cookbook club, you go, oh, right, okay, a bit of a different thing. So you try it. Yeah. Whereas I would have just probably not gone back to it. So, because it's kind of, if you've got cheese, you can eat cheese. You don't need to do other things with no, it. No, cheese is so sort of fine by custard, itself. So this is cheese So it's cream and cheese and eggs. Oh. And basically made like a curd. So with heat? Yeah. Okay. So you so some parmesan and some aged cheddar, ground, um, uh, just roughly um, grated yeah. into cream, boiled cream, nutmeg and white pepper, and then thickened the way you would with eggs the way you would a curd. Now when we had it, I sort of think oh yeah it's nice but it's cheese, rich soft mm. cheese. But it made me think it'd be fun to make a tart. Mm. And this, you know, because it kind of looks like just custard or whatever. Yep. And put, I don't know, grilled tomato or caramelised onion. Yeah, I was, I was, that's the first thing I thought of. This yeah. would go fantastic yeah. with caramelised onion. Um, or use it like as if it was a dollop of cream on a savoury something or other. So, nice on those biscuits, by the way. See, I would just put that an inch thick on a, on a sandwich. Well, that was the other thing. I thought on toast with Vegemite would be quite good too. Mm. <laughs> it's funny you say that. We, some mates of ours and us had this cook, cook cooking club mm. where similar sort of attitude where... So Vanessa and I would pick something for them to cook the next week and then we'd flip. Oh. So I would pick one thing and Vanessa would pick one thing. And then those... And they then the other couple would cook. Whether they... Oh, okay. Did that ever lead to any... It just, it was... Like I would be saying, I want you to make me <laughs> bomb Alaska or something. Um, <laughs> or I suppose you could always get me back the next week. So yeah, that was, the, that was the thing. But it was, it was, no... So you, you can try the spicy salt with that while we're talking. You, you always sort of picked something that would... So obviously, because they knew that I could cook, I probably got the more challenging dishes. Do you know, like they would go, well, I'm not going to pick that. That's too easy. <laughs> you can have this. And not everything worked. Definitely not everything worked. It wasn't like success after success right, after success. Right. But what it did to all of us was sort of go, you can't stay in your comfort zone. Yeah, make sure you cook something you wouldn't. Yeah, wouldn't you've work. actually got to think about it. You've got to read the recipe. You know, for someone like me, you've actually got to measure and weigh and things like that, which is my weakness, if you want to get it right. Because if mm. I screwed it up. And the, the idea was that you made it to the recipe. So no fudging. Um, and Danielle and I have talked about this yeah, as well with the right, cookbook actually, club, no. how yeah. sometimes so you make it to the recipe. finds that quite challenging sometimes. Well, and sometimes mm. the recipe doesn't work. Mm. So you make it to the recipe and it doesn't yeah. work. And yeah. then what do you doubt? Do you doubt your skill as a cook or a chef in her case? Or is yeah. do you look but at the I, recipe and go, why isn't this working? Yeah. Well, a bit of both, I think. Mm. I mean, sometimes some go, oh, maybe it's just, you know, it's really hot. Like, to me, that didn't set as quickly as the recipe inferred um but 
or didn't thicken as quickly. Oh, that's a cookbook club make. So that one's for you. So, so that? that's Dan Hong spicy salt. Oh yeah, I love Dan Hong. And so I, I reckon love... that's got you could just put do that so many different ways. It's sprinkle on it on whatever you want. Well, you know, after so that's a bit after of fun. podcast night is comfort food night, so I go home and I this is comfort food. I go home and have boiled eggs or mashed potato. Mashed potato, <laughs> which I thought I was an expert at until I lost my mashed potato off and then completely revamped the way I made mashed potato. Yes, and Sally Lynch Not Sally's help way. herself, could she, yeah, but to, to post the memory of, of the of yes. <laughs> She cheated, though. She used MSG. That's not fair. Um, Did she? Yeah, she put a, a stock cube in it with MSG oh. in it. She's a gonzo cook. I love it. I love the sort of thing <laughs> she does. Actually, I had an enjoyable day in the kitchen with her on our holiday. Cause mm, yeah. Not that I was allowed to do anything, but she had to cook for a, um, for a job. And we sat up a bit late, so I felt that I needed to give her some moral support. Yeah, I was having a little chat to her today. She said a food truck's going pretty good, so hopefully she'll come back to Queensland and we'll get a a big group podcast in, which Mm, would be pretty cool. That'd be fun. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Therese. Thank you for all the gifts. Sorry for crunching my biscuits into I know, the this, is, this is the cheesy podcast. What do you expect? <laughs> oh, it's like a signature. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I think the old school listeners are sort of like, you know, where's the crunching of biscuits and <laughs> and <laughs> sloshing of wine at the start? <laughs> I was I, I went back and there's a uh, there was a photo oh, from like three years ago of like this massive spread of crackers and the one little mic, you know, that used to pick up here. Like it, you've been doing it for three years now. Wow. Yeah, probably longer than that. It was like two years with sale. Then we've been Time doing. Flies. Yeah. So it's older than the children, the twins. I mean. I think it's. It wasn't that long after Sorry. Curtis was born. The okay. thing about cheesy compared to the other podcast I do, is it's a little bit harder to organise because you're doing it face to face. Funnily enough, doing a podcast with a guy in New Zealand is a lot easier than doing a face to face one. Why is that? Because it's just on Skype. So you don't have to get dressed you're not anywhere. going anywhere or you know you sort of you can jam it in anywhere so mm, we've gone way past number of episodes for that one even though it started like a year and a half afterwards so. yeah oh good mm. that's fun I all like right testing. see you next time see ya